This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 8. I am John DiCarlo, joined by, well, we got a full house, Kyle Gauss, Caden Steele, Javon Edmonds. What's going on, guys? I'm not used to a full house not including Dante and Sam yet. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. should be by now, but I'm not. I never heard of those guys. Who are they? <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, one, I mean this with no disrespect, but, like, we've done so many, like, iterations of this that I'm just like, all right, you know what? <laughs> on to the next. <laughs> Love you both. On to the next. <laughs> On to the next. House to Udonis Haslam of OwlScoop.com. Yeah. You've seen him come, you've seen him go. Look, we're on to the Caden Javon <laughs> era. Uh, we're, we're done with Sam and Dante. The Sam, like, we've had to deal with so many people coming and going. Just names, just notches on my belt. <laughs> notches on my belt. <laughs> Jesus. We're almost like running backs in the NFL. He just replaced us. Like, just get a new yeah. contract. Look, and- Jaquiz yeah. Rogers is always out there. All right. I can just <laughs> plug and play. Oh, I like that, I like that <laughs> analogy. Um, Quiz Rogers, real quick, was one of my favorite fantasy players one year because the Bucks just did not care about him as a person. And they're like, here's 25 carries. Go get us 60 yards. And I'd be like, great. <laughs> just run him into the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Famous number eights, guys. Cal Ripken, Jr. Tyler Medikevich. Alexander Ovechkin. Kobe Bean Bryant. Yeah. With the afro. Yeah. Kobe Bryant of the Seahawks. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, him too. Yeah. <laughs> PJ Walker for sticking. So in my mind, you want to go that way? PJ Walker's not an eight. He's an eleven. He's I know 11. that I know that they tried to make him an eight because they wanted to make eight like the marquee number. He's an eleven. He's always going to be an eleven to you. Because remember his Twitter handle was like P H I one one I P Walker, and then they made him change it to eight. And it was like, oh yeah. There goes that. Yeah. Um, Archel Foster. Archel down the eights. Archel Foster. I know. Wasn't Frankie Juice an eight? Yes, he was. Yeah. I know y'all are going to hate this one. Troy Troy Aikman. Yeah. Yeah. Piss off. (laughs) So, Troy Troy Aikman taking shots at his alma mater, I was perfectly fine with. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for ripping him for attendance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly valid. I got one for you Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub, the pride of Westchester East High School, University of Virginia. Yeah. There you go. And then Downtown East had uh, his backups, a uh, history teacher at Downtown East. Dan Ellis was his backup at UVA. Dan Ellis is, uh, he's, uh, I mean, I haven't talked to him in years, but he's uh, he's a good dude. Friend of the DiCarlo family. Look at that. Yeah. Didn't Steve I, Young wear number eight? Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It's a big yeah. one. Um, long neck Mike Glennon, who we sat next to at Duke. <laughs> oh, was tough. Mike Glennon at Duke? <laughs> he was at Duke, yeah. He, he, he was, was calling the game. Yeah. Mike Glennon's on the Mount Rushmore of like backup quarterbacks that made more money than they should have. Yes. To Joan, you say Lamar? Of course, Lamar. Yeah, Al Boogie, Al Freaky. How, would, yeah, how did you, how you did, call him. I just yeah. assumed you were going to. Basically could not throw the ball today. Uh, he wasn't wearing a sleeve in practice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <So. laughs> I'm just praying for the guy. That's <laughs> it's news. It's news to me. I need him in need him in fantasy. Apparently they're expecting him to play, but he was unable to throw the ball today. Ooh. What about Ray Guy? 
Caden with, 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 with deep cuts here. The I think John and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. My dad's like the type of guy. My dad's a Raiders fan. John's dad was a Raiders fan to the point that if you ask my dad, like, oh, you spent a first-round pick on right guy, he won't acknowledge that it was weird to draft a punter in the first round. Instead, he'll be like, well, that was a great pick. I mean, Hall of Fame punter. Like, not acknowledging that he probably could have got him in the eighth round back then mm-hmm. when they had, like, 15 rounds. Yeah. Was like, oh, yeah best, best pick they ever made. <laughs> right guy, Mackenzie Morgan, was added to the right guy award watch list this yeah. week. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Guys, we got a full show this week. We got a, a 16 to 14 Temple loss to Rutgers to recap. But some signs of progress, I think we could say. Uh, we'll take a brief look at UMass. We'll make some predictions. We've got the Zion Stanford verbal commitment to talk about. A couple other official visitors uh, in the Temple basketball world: Kafik Myers from Newman Gretti and Jaleel Bethea from Archbishop Wood, and a, a pretty full mailbag as well. So let's dive into this. Uh, let's dive into Saturday's game. Um, winnable game. Uh, wasn't sure it was going to be that close, but it was. And at the end of the day, I mean, I'm kind of like, you know, not doing the game justice here. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, it was a guy named Johnny Langan who wore him down, you know, at a tight end at the wildcat position after Temple's defense. Again, I got to tip my cap to them. They played a pretty good game. They did not give up, uh, did not give up uh, an offensive touchdown. Um, But I, I think we were all kind of expecting Rutgers to win, but I don't know that any of us expected expected a 16 to 14 game or a close game like this. What are your general impressions, general takeaways from the game? I think, I think I'd say like there's a such thing as moral victories had it not been for the reasons temple laws, like a freak pick six, you can't do anything about. Okay. Whatever. However, what you can do something about is two failed fourth downs inside your 30 that resulted in six points for the offense that if you just punt the ball, you're maybe looking at a 14 to 10 win against Rutgers after losing 61 to 14 against them the previous season. Um, I'm, I respect Stan for re- saying it in Saturday's press conference and reiterating on Monday that he'd make those calls all over again. Like he's sticking to his guns on it. Uh, much respect to that, but not only is hindsight 2020, all four of us were in that press box, not fans of that call, those two calls. Uh, but hey, what can you do about it? Yeah, I think I think if you had asked or told me coming to the season that by week three, Stan Drayton would be confident enough in his defense to put his offense or to put them in scenarios like that, that I would take that as a positive sign. I like like we talked about the day out, I wasn't super positive or super uh I didn't agree with the decision too much, but you know it is what it is. Uh other than the final score being so close, I feel like the game actually kind of played out sort of like I thought it was going to in the sense that nobody on Rutgers offense scared me outside of Johnny Langdon. Johnny mm-hmm. Langdon just destroyed them. Um, the one thing I would say is that we probably overestimated how good Rutgers offensive line is because yeah. right off the bat, you could kind of just tell the Temple was getting pushed on the defensive line and that you can usually tell with college games, usually by like the first drive, like physically is there a mismatch here? And there was no physical like disadvantage between Temple and Rutgers. It was more just it came down to you know football. Um, the offense still concerns me a bit. Uh, I think EJ Warner played okay. I don't think he played great. I think that that freak pick six, and I think Stan Drayton talked about this, was still like a poor decision, like with his arm release angle, and he didn't really kind of sense that the guy got to there, um, that Loyal got there untouched. So I think he still has room to grow. But I kind of just left that game feeling the same way I left 
the Louisville game in 2013 when PJ Walker for, had like his first extended stay of like, okay, there's something here. He didn't play great. He played fine. It was probably about best case scenario. Um, and it kind of just changes the outlook of the entire season. Yeah, I thought this game, you know, said more overall kind of about Rutgers and that you know, I don't think they're going to be contenders in the Big Ten. They don't have a quarterback. If you're playing two quarterbacks, you don't have any. Evan Simon looked rough, and then they need Verdell really back, you know, to be there for, you know, them to compete in the Big Ten. But for Temple, at least, I thought it was good to get, you know, another week of good individual performances from Leighton Jordan. He really showed up big time against, you know, Rutgers with two sacks. Had a big sack, I think, first and second quarter around Willie Tyler, which was really impressive, a speed rush. And then that fourth quarter sack that gave Temple a chance to win the game where he, you know, made Rutgers pump the ball. And Coach you know, Stan Drake talked about it and gave Jacob Hollins a lot of credit on that play for, you know, allowing Leighton to get free. But I thought Leighton had a really good performance. And I think it was good to see, you know, Jordan Smith, you know, back out there at tight end, being that comfortable, safe target for EJ Warner. And my question is, you know, when DMR comes back, or, uh, is he the surefire starter? Because Jordan Smith's been playing really good you know, the last two weeks and we haven't seen, you know, David Martin Robinson back. So, well, they run a two tight end set a lot. Like James Delapesca still played a lot. Um, even that. So I would think if DMR comes back fully healthy, then it probably affects James Delapasca more than it might affect Jordan Smith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just something else to pass along to, you know, um, I think we're learning very early on that, that Stan Drayton is plays things pretty close to his vest when it comes to injuries. So of the seven players that did not play Saturday, and that was Adam Klein at right tackle. Uh, Dwan Mathis did not play. We'll talk in a second about him being uh, moved to receiver or, or seeing snaps at receiver. I wanted to ask you guys that about uh, before we get into UMass and then we'll talk, we, we've got a pretty full mailbag. So we'll talk football again at the end in the mailbag. Cause a lot of the mailbag questions kind of queue up some of the things that we want to talk about. Um, so it's Adam Klein at right tackle, Dewan Mathis, Darvon Hubbard and Jakari Norwood at running back, David Martin Robinson, Deshaun Winston, who's the seventh player. I'm trying to do this from Trey from Thomas, Trey. Trey Thomas. Yes. So you just said that he said on Monday, uh, I said two days ago that all guys, all of them are progressing in the in the right direction. Uh, we don't know for sure. Um, I, I would say that, you know, we didn't see any glaring instances. I, I didn't feel like I was looking at right tackle the whole game and saying, wow, James Famine was getting beat. James Famine was getting beat. Like it's again, I think that this offensive line is very much a work in progress. Um, something that Stan talked about on Monday they didn't give up any sacks. I think EJ Warner deserves some credit for that as much credit as the offensive line does, but still for a group that had been solid at the tackle spots, no Adam Klein, uh, Rich Rodriguez through three games, no fumbled exchanges. I mean, that should be the norm for your center. Uh, but I think the offensive line, uh, they weren't facing George's defense or anything on Saturday, but I think they took a step forward. It could have been a lot worse with James family at right tackle. Um, we don't know again anything definitive on on those uh, on those seven injury updates there. Uh, but with family at right tackle, it kind of lends more credence to you know Chris Weezahan saying I'm going to cross train these guys. And a couple of weeks ago at Duke, he was your starting left guard, and on Saturday he was your starting right tackle. And again, it's not like we're sitting watching film with the with the staff. I'm sure he has stuff to work on, but I suppose it could have been worse there, right? Yeah, and that kind of makes me think, despite what we may have heard and may have been told, that James Family might have just not have been ready to go week two from mm -hmm. losing his starting job to just not playing to all of a sudden leapfrogging Jim Tell at a position that he hadn't played in college football probably tells me that maybe he wasn't full of go. I mean, being their 13th in the nation in sacks allowed, um, there are two aspects of being an offensive line, right? I mean, I don't think they're particularly good at run blocking right now. 
No, um, I, I think statistically they've been good at pass blocking. A lot of that, like you said, is because of EJ Warner and kind of getting the ball out quickly. Um, but they've left a lot to be desired in the run scheme. I think this helps a lot Temple with Temple, not only for this year, but more so next year. I mean, you're losing Isaac Moore. You're losing Adam Klein. If James Famineau becomes a guy that you can pencil in to say, okay, that's your right tackle next year, or that's your left tackle next year, or even if that's your right guard next year, uh, I think that helps add depth. I think we've talked about this, though. I think that's still a position that you'll see them, like, scour the transfer portal for. Yeah. Um, before we get into, again, like, we'll, we'll get into uh, previewing the UMass game, get some predictions in here, move along to some basketball recruitment, and again, we'll talk a lot more football in, in the mailbags. We have a pretty full mailbag to get to, but um, the other piece of news to, to come out of things on Monday was that um, something that we had heard some some chatter about that Stan Drayton said that um, Dewan Mathis is getting – some reps um, at, at wide receiver. I asked Adam DeMichael this on my on the Believe in Temple Football podcast I do with him. I, I want to ask you guys this question. Uh, he made some salient points that I'll, I'll get to in a minute, but look, do you guys think this can work? No. No. Why not? Me and Caden were talking about this, and, and I think you were looped in on it too. Like, okay, played quarterback. He's probably one of the smartest guys on the team, probably. Whoop de do. He'll know the offense. Will he be able to convert the wide receiver? Needs to put some muscle on. And to play receiver, you need to be able to get off the line. To get off the line, you need footwork. Footwork is literally the worst part of his game at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, Stan. He's 6'6 and ran a 4-4 straight up with no pads. I don't know if I trust him to move laterally. Once again, from what I've seen from his footwork, to translate to a receiver and even be somebody worth dressing going game day. I don't. Maybe he can be a wild cut, a wildcat package guy. I don't know. Uh, keep him around as QB too because the way EJ gets hit, he doesn't get sacked, but he gets hit. Mm-hmm. You might need somebody to come take the pressure off of him towards the end of the season. Hope EJ doesn't get hurt, but calling it like it is. But no, the one at receiver, I just don't see it. And I mean, we're talking at a guy, even from a mental standpoint, like, He's, what, two years removed from brain surgery? Mm-hmm. You're not at the protected quarterback position anymore. You're at receiver where you can five-yard dig, five-yard slant, catch it, and boom, you're rocked. And who knows? Is he mentally up to accept that? Like, okay, I have to be prepared for this to potentially happen anytime I catch the ball. I don't know. It's a lot of factors that just point it, – it, it points south for me. Uh, what do you think? I was going to enter this by saying, no, it's not going to work. I mean, we saw it with Real Mitchell. It didn't work. Um, it feels like it's just the type of thing to keep a guy that you might need to rely on later in the season vested in the team. However, since Javon said it so definitively, I feel the need to take the counterpoint to be the contrarian on it. And, like, if, if you're if you're an optimist, like, it's worked in the past, right? Like, you see this in college football all the time. Like, you see – uh, you see JT Barrett do it. You see Terrell Pryor do it into the NFL. You see Julian Edelman do it into the NFL. Is is Dwan Mathis any of those guys? No, like he's not. But like the one thing that he does have is size, which is something outside of Ian Stewart that the Temple's missing at that spot. I think in the end, I don't think you're all of a gonna see all of a, all of a sudden gonna see uh Dwan Mathis become Randall Cobb and switch over to wide receiver and become this NFL all pro wide receiver. I don't think that's gonna happen. Do I think he'll catch a ball at wide receiver? Sure. Probably this week, because I think Temple's going to dismantle UMass. So probably this week. I don't think it's a long-term thing. I think you'll see him 
being an FCS quarterback this time next year. Caden, what do you think? Yeah, kind of on board with Kyle, where I don't see it being a long-term thing, mainly because I have a hard time seeing Dewan buying into it. You know, got banged up last year. Jordan Lynch came in for you, almost kind of lost your job there. Came in this year with a, you know, a fresh start with Stan, then you lose your job again. I just don't know how mentally you know, he stays at Temple, makes that adjustment. And when he's watching EJ Warner and the rest of his quarterbacks in the room, I feel like there's got to be, you know, some jealousy there between him and EJ, even if he tries to, you know, be political about it, tries to be a good teammate. I just can't see the fit working because I don't think DeWan's going to necessarily want it, you know, want it to work. I think he wants to play quarterback. You played quarterback your whole life. I have a hard time seeing him say, oh, okay, now like after 10 years of playing quarterback, I'm a wide receiver now. I just don't see it working. Maybe kind of along Kyle's optimism, you could use him in some sense. He's six six. I agree with Javon that I don't think he's got a lot of lateral movement. I don't think he's as good of an athlete as Stan, you know, makes it out to be. But maybe you can use him as a red zone threat. He's got some good size. Maybe if he can come a good enough, you know, route runner and maybe if he can learn the offense, you can use use him in some sort of package, but a long-term answer at wide receiver where he ends up becoming a viable option. The offense seems you know, really unrealistic. Yeah, I, and I want to, Oh God, John, before you go, I, I, I make it real quick. Like I get it. He's a D one football player. And like, I'm, I don't know Dewan personally, but there's not many guys in the world that's built like, Hey, I was a very high recruit that played quarterback for a long time. And it was on full scholarship at the University of Georgia. And then all of a sudden, want to convert the receiver wholeheartedly. I don't know too many people with that make Terrell, Terrell Pryor was the number one recruit in the nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm yeah, like, like, so I could be wrong because yeah. there's there have been guys. There's been mm-hmm. a select few, but there have been guys. So I could be wrong. But mm-hmm. it's just a lot of stuff to look at where it's like the betting gods would say. Sure. It wouldn't work. Right. And real quick, just because people on our message boards tend to post, you know, corrections towards me, I meant Braxton Miller, not JT Barrett. Throw that out there. <laughs> Thank God you cleared that up. Yeah. Oh, well, well, let's help Caden out with Justin Lynch instead of Jordan Lynch. Oh. Hey, Jordan Lynch was a great player at Northern. <laughs> I went on a Rucker, I went on a Rutgers podcast last uh, last week and referred to Lafayette as Lehigh. So, you know, this is <laughs> tomato tomato. Although if I said that, I mean those schools hate each other when it comes to comes to that game. Yeah, I uh, had a lot of uh, I had a lot of Mountain Hawk faithful in my mentions. <laughs> um, no, I mean I think you guys make a lot a lot of good points here. I think human nature is a play, and I'm not even again. I don't know Dewan Mathis other than just to have interviewed him. I think it's I think human nature is a play when you know if he was once a highly touted recruit and that position is being taken away from you, I, I think we'd be a little surprised if he wasn't like, oh, I'd rather be playing quarterback. And I think there's that part of it. I don't think uh, if I were a betting man, I think you might see him in some formations where maybe he comes into the game, checks in at wide receiver, and at the last second there's some pre-snap movement where he joins EJ in the backfield, and maybe there's some trickery on there. Maybe you try to have him throw the ball. I mean, he, I mean, he has a competent – throwing motion. But, you know, Adam and I talked about this yesterday. I mean, like you can say what you want about these guys. They're not, they haven't really gotten on the field, but like, are you all of a sudden going to put him straight up as a wide receiver on the field before like some other guys that have been logging some time, like Quasi Evans hasn't gotten on the field yet. You know, Malik Cooper he, hasn't gotten on the field. He played, yet. Against, he played against Rutgers. Yeah. But not like, yeah, significantly. So all of a sudden, like he's going to leapfrog them. I think if he gets into the game, I think it's going to be in some gimmicky packages or something like that. Real quick. Yeah. Playing off that EJ Warner played three snaps at wide receiver. 
Yeah. So does so does Juwan Mathis enter when you're putting Quincy Patterson in? Yeah. When they packages. split. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good you point. Put Juwan so. Mathis in there. So we'll we'll see, but I agree with Kyle. Like this could be the week where you see it because UMass is not very good now. Um, again, it's it's funny they're 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 coached by Don Brown, a guy who interviewed for the the Temple job before that job ultimately went to. I say ultimately, temporarily went to to Manny Diaz. He actually did it twice, right? Didn't he interview last time too? He might have. He Maybe. might have. Yeah. Um. So I mean, a, a respected coach, a really respected defensive coordinator who was known for trying to call some aggressive games. Now I obviously don't think he has the, the, the personnel to, uh, to do what he wants to do right now at UMass. I don't know if he's ever going to get to where he wants him to be. Um, now, obviously UMass won 20 to three last week. Uh, they beat up an FCS program in Stony Brook before that they got routed by Tulane. They got routed by uh, Toledo Jalen Mackey's their leading tackler at linebacker with 21 tackles, two and a half, uh, TFLs, um, Stan Drayton said on Monday, they run the ball about 70, more than 70% of the time. Um, they're even their quarterback runs a lot. Gino Campiotti went 10 to 15 passing for 90 yards last week to go with a touchdown and interception. Again, that's coming against Stony Brook. Uh, also ran 11 times for 72 yards. Ellis Merriweather's a solid back that they have, but this is a team that's going to run the ball a lot. Um, I kind of feel like this is now a week where you look at the first three weeks as, as their body of work, you see some signs of progress. I think this is finally going to be the week where, you know, maybe Temple doesn't do to UMass what Rutgers did to Wagner a couple of weeks ago, but any reason to think that Temple's going to have any difficulty with this game? No, no. I mean, I, no, no disrespect to UMass, but this is a team that can't throw the ball that can't run the ball. That is last in the nation in net punting. They're they're pretty much bad in almost every single aspect of college football in 2022. Um, like it's just it was a complete rebuild. They're kind of in no man's land where they're an FBS independent. Yeah, they didn't they didn't want to bring their basketball team to Matt, to the max, so they're forced to kind of just you know wander the world, um, being the lambs to the slaughter for teams willing to pay them to come play in their stadium. So like, this is what UMass football is. Like I, I the last time they played both the times the Temple's played them, to be honest, it's been closer than it should have been like, but this is a game where I, I would expect this to kind of be like Akron last year where Temple's kind of able to look better on offense than it might actually be. And all of a sudden you look up and they have 45 points. So I, I'm not expecting much pushback from UMass this week. You can argue Temple is in a better spot going into this game than they were going into Akron last year. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, Rutgers last year was just kind of like you kind of were banking on like, okay, well, maybe those that like one or two good series of Juwan Mathis is what you're going to get every time. And then you didn't see him again for two or three more weeks. He didn't come back until the Wagner game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I feel I would feel more confident about Temple right now than I would uh, going into week two of last year. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I also think Akron's probably a better team than UMass is this year. And Akron's not good. What's your prediction, Kyle? I'm going to say pain. <laughs> 42 to seven. Like, I think this is just a complete dismantling. Gino Campiotti, the Juco transfer, uh, is a starting quarterback that averages like 45 yards a game. Mm-hmm. Their running backs are just a bunch of, um, like, K. Ron Adams, the former Rutgers running back, is the backup there, is not being successful. They're kind of running into the same issues where he's showing college football. Like, unless you are Barry Sanders or Reggie Bush, you really need that offensive line to be a successful running back in college, and UMass does not have that. Javon, Caden, want to just throw around some numbers at this point? Yeah. Um, 
I got a number that's been stuck in my head all week that's been breaking my heart, 35 to 14. Breaking your heart? <laughs> that's the lead the Ravens had on the Dolphins before they lost. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, I, so, I thought yeah. it was Ravens related, but I was like, score as like Temple UMass score predictions are breaking your heart. Yeah. So I'm going to choose on. Temple over UMass 35 to 14. Caden? I'll go something kind of similar. I'll go 31 to 10. I don't think Temple's offense is good enough to put up 40 points, but I think Temple's defense is playing well. So I don't think. Oh, so is this? Is this year's Temple offense better than last year's Temple offense? Yes. And they put up what forty five against Akron, so I don't know. Yes. Like I, I don't know. Legitimately, I don't know if this offense is better than last year's offense. I think they're healthier. I think they have a better quarterback right now, but they still can't run the ball. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm gonna go thirty one ten Temple. If any of us is wrong with the prediction, then Temple's got some bigger problems to that we're not aware of. Um, again, we'll we'll get to to more football talk here in a second. Want to talk some basketball recruiting uh, for a few minutes, and then get back to the mailbag. So. As we mentioned at the outset of the show, uh, West Catholic Zion Stanford committed to Temple Monday night. This is something that we're kind of uh, expecting. Um, talk to him Monday um, uh, about his decision. And, uh, you know, I think that from the outside looking in, I think there were people who uh, believed that the Temple was kind of in the in the lead the the whole way here. Um, he did. He did tell me when I when I talked to him on Monday night that um that he did have a good visit to Boston college and that he did talk to his father and his father said, well, look, what would it look like if you stayed home? You know, there are going to be some distractions if you're playing close to home, but at the end of the day, he chose temple Um, really nice pickup for temple. I mean, I think this is, you know, I think, I think once temple or if, if temple can start getting to the NCAA tournament and start winning games in the NCAA tournament, then Aaron McKee gets a little bit more benefit of the doubt when people, when he starts to recruit someone like Zion Stanford and people say, okay, he's a local kid. How good is he? But I think that Aaron, you know, so far has built up some equity where he looks like he can pick some of the local kids like a Zach Hicks, like a Hasir Miller. Um, When they offered Zion, he'd been coming off a good junior season was what with West Catholic. They had had a share of the PCL title. Um, they didn't win the, they didn't win the PCL championship, but, um, just a, a guy who's six, five, one ninety, and had a really good, really good summer playing for Kalo elite, got an ACC offer. Um, I think this is a real nice way to start off their class. I don't know what the rest of their class is going to look like if they're just going to maybe if they take another high school kid, or if they're just super active in the portal after that, what, what do you guys make of this? I like it. Keep getting some of the local guys, hammering them home, uh, I want to double down on something Shiz Austin said to Colin Gillespie. And I know I'm not from up here. So, you know, like the people who are going to disagree with this statement, quite frankly, like I I honestly don't care. I'm not changing my opinion on this one. Villanova Township is not Philadelphia or whatever the proper name is. For Villanova. Villanova Township. It's just it's called not, Villanova. It's a it, Villanova's it, in Radnor Township. Now you're going to have Villanova fans coming at you saying it's not Villanova Township. Whatever. Villanova is not Philadelphia. Shiz right. Austin got that right. Staying home means going to Temple, Penn, if you can get into Penn, uh, St. Joe's, Drexel, and LaSalle. That's what staying home means. So Aaron McKeegan guys to stay home is a good thing because we know Philadelphia produces a lot of basketball talent. Justin Edwards is a top five player 
in his class. The exact number depends on which outlet you go to. Like, Philly produces talent. You know what I'm saying? So getting a guy like Zion Stanford, it's good. If you can win your local stuff, you can start attracting guys from elsewhere also. Uh, my my only concern is when is Aaron going to start getting some big men, like some homegrown big men. That's my only concern at this point. Everything else, I'm fine with. That's also how many homegrown big men are there. I mean, when, you look, too. when, when you look down further down the line, you see Mark Jackson's kid, and you go, okay, if he's able to keep Sharif here, then that's one thing. Um, with Colin Gillespie, Colin Gillespie is going to Colin Gillespie. Um, I've never heard great things about him, to be quite honest. Uh, but I mean, in the end, like Colin Gillespie just didn't follow the number one rule of social media, which is don't tweet at recruits. Like, even though, okay, guess what? You went to Archbishop Wood. He's going to Archbishop Wood. Just don't care. Like you, you're being a douche. You're uh, trying to impact a high school junior's future. Don't have the most respect for that. Didn't, far, he, yeah. I was, I was, didn't he? And I, I have not gone back to look at it. Wasn't he? Did he take a shot at Temple's facilities or no? Yeah. He's, he's like, uh. The spotlight's not big enough. Needs better facilities, better blah blah. Tell me, you've never tell me sure. you've never seen Temple's facilities without telling me you've never seen Temple's facilities. Yeah, because yeah. like if you want to say, hey, look, uh, you should be playing in the Big East. It's the bigger spotlight. It's such a big spotlight that I won Conference Player of the Year twice, and I never even came close to getting drafted. If you want to say that, then okay, there's probably some uh, credibility to that. If you want to say that like Temple's facilities aren't up to par, then that's kind of a misinformed. Uh, opinion yeah because absolutely tip your cap to nova that they've they've won the national titles that they've won but but they had a crappy arena until four years ago three years yeah ago. temple's like, facilities are just as nice as what villanova has but yeah again in case we didn't say this at the outset i know we were talking about zion stanford a second ago julio bethea and kafik myers uh took official visits to temple this past weekend kafik myers is at newman gretty julio bethea at archbishop wood which is why Kong Gillespie was leaning in there so sorry kyle go ahead back to zion stanford real quick yes what we're going to talk about. I mean, I, th- I think he's the best defensive player in the Catholic League this year. Uh, I think he's versatile, which is going to be very helpful. I think you could play him. I saw one of the comparisons somebody put on our message board, Scooty Randall. Somebody yeah. else mentioned Mark Tyndale. I think you see kind of those, like, he could play that bigger guard, smaller forward position. Uh, I think he's going to be the type of guy that right off the bat has uh, a spot in the rotation just because of that versatility and that um, defensive prowess. I think overall, to Javon's point, it helps with more people keeping staying home. Although, to be honest, the narrative that it's kind of just like not local kids anymore isn't necessarily true. I mean, seven of their 12 scholarship guys are Philly and Jersey guys. Two of them are international. And then we have North Carolina, Florida, and mm. um, blanket on somebody else. But I mean, like they've, had, they've got some local guys. Uh, I would think with that 13 scholarship that they're holding that maybe for somebody to reclassify into 2022 or something like that at the mid-year. I think we've always talked about mid-year transfers, and those really aren't going to be a thing anymore. With college, with with the new transfer portal window, I think you have to wait until April to transfer in now with your basketball yeah. and scholarship. I think that's what happened with Oscar Sheboy when he left from West Virginia to Kentucky. Yeah, like I think it's just like you're going to have to wait until April. So the only when you have this open scholarship, one of two things is going to happen: either a 2023 kid's going to reclassify into 2022 and enroll in January if he has the academics. Or Ryan Sayers is going to get a free ride for the spring semester. Like, that's what that 13th scholarship is going to end up being. Um, and then I think you're going to get a crap ton of movement and you're going to have another three or four open scholarships in the fall, in the spring, because that's what you get every year. Yeah, because Caleb said, I mean, Caleb, Caleb's, gone. Gone. Like, Caleb's gone. I wouldn't be, now he's not said this officially, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is Damian Don's last season. He could yep. graduate. Uh, and yeah, Kerr. Yeah. Yeah. And Cor- so, um, but again, a good 
start to Temple's class. Like, yeah, it, Kyle brought this up, and it's it's uh, to give people some context. Yeah, on our uh, alscoop.com basketball message board, and this is the cool part of these conversations is you know. Uh, a kid commits and, and fans want to know for context, who's he remind you of? And yeah, Scooty Randall's name came up. Um, Mark Tyndale's name came up. I think that, and again, Zion Stanford has yet to play a college basketball game. He's yet to play his senior season. I, I would think with all due respect to Scooty, I think that Zion is probably more athletic than Scooty is now. You know, I think Scooty was a, a big swing man. He had a nice, nice temple career, solid college career, solid career overseas, was playing well in the rump as uh, as of this past summer. I think Zion is more athletic than Scooty ever was. I mean, um, uh, talking to Miguel Boca Chica, his, his coach at West Catholic, I mean, he's told me on a couple of occasions that, you know, uh, that Zion is the type of guy that can get a run started by going up and blocking a shot, pinning it up against the backboard, bringing it back down and, and getting the break started in the other direction. I think he's got that type of ability. He's really strong. Um, I mean, Mark Tyndale, that'll be a heck of a comparison. I think if, if you're going to compare him to Mark, I think his, I think his shooting motion, I think his shooting stroke is better right now than Mark's was. Um, and Mark never was a great outside shooter, but Mark was a heck of a, you know, a heck of a penetrator and just an overall, you know, good player and, and good defender. But if, you know, if he ends up being a, if he ends up being a combination of both those guys, then that's a good start to good start to Temple's class. And I think it's a good sign for Aaron McKee too. I mean, obviously he's got to close on someone like Kafik Myers, um, a guy that might be gettable, you know, depending on who you talk to. I mean, he's a, um, you know, a, a smaller guard at like 5'10", 160, 170, but very quick. So Leo Bethea has got some bigger offers right now, but I Real guess. Real quick. Yes. If you want to claim Kafik Myers is 5'10", they shouldn't take photos of him standing next to Chris Clark. Because Chris <laughs> yes. Clark looks an inch taller than him. So Kafik Myers might be tiny, tiny. Mm, really? Yeah. Unless you know it's, you know, the camera ads announced to Chris, somebody. <laughs> but like, yeah. what's the difference? Like if you're 5'8 versus 5'10, you're still like size is an issue. So like, yeah, he's been able to be successful outside of that. Yeah. Um, but a good, a, a good sign that they are getting these guys um, in for an early uh, official visit like that. We'll, um, uh, keep an eye on their, uh, on their recruitment as well. Um, got several mailbag questions to get to here. Um, I think they're all football related. I think we got another one that just came in late that we'll get to in a second. Um, these are mailbag questions coming in from our alscoop.com subscribers. As always, these are screen names that we're going to read off. The first one is from Rockland Al. Um, we talked about this a little bit already, but, uh, what is your expectation of Mathis's role now that he's been switched to wide receiver? I think we already talked about that, you know, wish him well, I think we're all in agreement that it's probably going to, you're going to see some stuff maybe in some, some packages, some trick plays, stuff like that. If you're like a complete optimist, I think you see them, you know, five, six, seven snaps against UMass. And who knows, maybe you do go, wow, that did bring an extra wrinkle to it. Like he has speed. He's going to have straight line speed with this stuff. Maybe Mm -hmm. does maybe do wrinkle in a a trick play. I just feel like every time we think about like temple football, and it's like, oh, this guy's going to add a, a trick play. Isaiah Wright played quarterback in high school. This is going to add a trick play. They're going to incorporate halfback passes or wide receiver passes. It just never happens. Like, you don't see that. You saw it a little bit with, like, John Christopher to P.J. Walker a couple times back in, like, 2015, 2016, because John Christopher, another guy that, you know, threw the ball a bit in high school. But, like, I just don't – I can't close my mind and have, like, my mind's eye see Dwan Mathis having seven catches for 110 yards. Like, I just don't see that working out. Mm-mm. My mind's eye. I like my that. mind's eye. 
mind's eye. My whispering, was it whispering eye? <laughs> That's a different. That's a different thing. It's a different thing from a from a movie. Uh, <laughs> the next one, next one is from Green Street Al. Green Street Al's question is: How much has the way the team uh, responded and been coached since the quarterback change altered the outlook of the season? Interesting question, Javon. I'll start you off with with this one. What do you think? Repeat that one time. That was a little quick. How much has the way the team responded? How much has the way the team has responded and been coached since the quarterback change altered the outlook of the season? So otherwise, yeah, in other words, he's saying, does the 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 shot in the arm that the EJ Warner has given them change your outlook for the season? Um, I don't think they can now all of a sudden win any games that I didn't have them winning before the season. I think they can be more competitive in those games now, like Rutgers. They were going to lose with or without DeWan. They just would have lost even worse with DeWan. So I think that's just what it boils down to. When they play Tulsa, when they play Memphis and Houston and Cincinnati, they're still going to lose. They just won't lose as bad as they would have with DeWan. Yeah, I don't know if I'd lump Memphis in with some of those schools, but yeah. Uh, I completely completely agree with all of that. Where I think it's we talk so much about coming into the season about like, look, they're going to lose games. It's how do they lose those games? And I think after the Duke game, you kind of saw it going down a path of like, oh crap, are they going to get blown out every week? And this is going to be like Al Golden's first year here, where they're going to have to completely like start it over. Versus you think maybe it's more like Rules' first year, where they're still going to win two three games, but there's progress. I also think it's going to help with the transfer portal. If if EJ Warner continues to progress the way that we think he can, and all of a sudden you're looking back and you're like, wow, that true freshman started you know ten games and put up twenty four hundred yards or whatever it is, then you're that's going to help you kind of keep maybe some of those guys that might otherwise have opportunities to leave. Yeah, I I agree. I think that I, I mean I think that it changes. It changes the outlook of the season in a, in, a, in a small way, I think, in that so far, again, there, there will, I'm sure there will be some adversity that will come. The fact that he doesn't appear to, to get – now, conference play could bring a, bring a, a whole new you know, set of circumstances. He doesn't appear to get rattled by pressure, and I don't think that you're going into any game now this season thinking that he's going to be completely overwhelmed and just make a, a ton of bad decisions. Again, there will be growing pains, but I think he gives a, a young inexperienced offensive line, a chance to be not so bad. And then another, another, like, you know, I mean, like, like he's going to cut them some breaks, you know, uh, like if Jim to Obdegu has to go out there and play a little bit more, if James family is still struggling at, at right tackle, if, you know, Bryce Thelman is still developing, they're not going to look as bad if you have a, a young, confident kid who is like, at the very least, I'm going to get rid of the ball. At the very least, more often than not, I'm going to put it in the right spot. Now, doesn't mean he's going to be perfect. He's still he's still 18 years old, but maybe he's an X factor in, in making a couple of these games closer. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Interesting, interesting thing to think about. Uh, next question here comes from the screen name is The Hick. We'll get a basketball question in here. Are we going to recruit any size? Do we have any knockdown shooters on our radar? Who are we scrimmaging before play starts? Um, look, again, I, I think a lot of this is going to be fluid. I, I, As I'm sitting here now on September 21st, um, if they're going to recruit any size, I think they would probably look to, it, depending on what their needs are going to be. Again, if Cordron is just going to be moving on, Jamil Reynolds is not um, – 
Emmanuel Pomo, is he ever going to develop? I don't know. I think if they're going for a big, they're probably more likely to go in the in the portal and see what develops in the transfer portal as opposed to going with someone straight out of high school. Do they have any knockdown shooters on their radar? Again, I would expect them to go portal there. I wouldn't call Zion Stanford a knockdown shooter. I think he's a developing shooter, but um, I don't know. I, I think I understand where the hick is coming from with this question, but the way – staff's approach recruiting now it's not like you scan the 2023 class and say okay they're going after this guy this guy this guy this guy and this guy can do this this guy can do this it's just more of a collective thing now where i think for some of these immediate needs that he's talking about and i don't even know that like shooting is necessarily an immediate need like okay if zach hicks doesn't go anywhere zach hicks is a knockdown shooter shane dozoni can shoot um you know I mean, I see Miller can, can shoot. So um, I think a lot of it depends. I know it's probably not the answer you're looking for, but I don't know. Any thoughts on this? And again, I don't know who they're scrimmaging before play starts. I don't know. I do. if, oh, you do? Okay. I do. I actually, I know one for sure. Georgetown is one of them. So it's always Georgetown. Is it's really, always, Georgetown's always in it. I don't know Georgetown why. and either like Drexel or. Uh, I think it's either. I think the second one. Don't quote me. I mean, I guess you should quote me on this because I'm putting it publicly. It's I think it's either Iona or Siena. I forget. Oh, okay. But Georgetown is Iona Gales. Okay. Georgetown's for sure. The other one I I'm not willing to bet my mortgage on. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. Good stuff, Kyle. Um, next screen name. Uh, next question here is from uh, what what to you? Huge hypothetical. But another EJ Warner question. But if EJ Warner was the starter week one, do you think Temple wins the Rutgers game? I'm going to say yes. I think so. I think there could be, I think if he starts week one against Duke, um, I think that's another game he has under his belt. Um, And maybe just maybe again, it is a hypothetical. That's why these are fun. Maybe by week three, after playing against Duke, after playing against Lafayette, maybe pre-snap, he sees something against Rutgers and where if he sees someone like Shaquan Loyal coming, like starting to creep in or something, he slides protection over and recognizes that. And maybe by week three, that's a development that he has in terms of his processing. And maybe that's the difference in the game. So hypothetically, what the hell? I say yes. If they start him from week one, they win the Rutgers game. Am I, I criticizing? Like if am, am I criticizing Stan Drayton and saying he should have known the whole time? No. Um, I think Stan Drayton's been open and honest and saying, yeah, there's a lot we liked about EJ. I've, I've been speaking highly of him the whole time. I'm paraphrasing here. But when I've asked him about, did you know he was going to be this good so far? Relatively small sample size in terms of weathering pressure. And he's like, well, I didn't because we can't hit in practice. But uh, Or they choose not to hit in practice. The guys are in green jerseys. But I've said, okay, even just in terms of simulating pressure, um, they might not have known he was going to be that good. But yeah, why the hell not? I think if you start him from week one, I think he makes a couple of minor adjustments. And by week three, with more playing time under his belt, he's good enough. And he makes a couple more plays and they beat Rutgers. And that's on par with what Stan was saying about that play, which the more experience he'll be able to check out of something or yeah. adjust in the pre- uh, protection. So I, I, I like that. Counterpoint is you throw him out against Duke and Shaka Hayward and, you know, Devon, Dwayne Carter flatten him and he ruined his confidence and he's not good. But yep. There's that. There's trade-offs to it, right? Like, I think if you're an optimist, you say, okay, well, he would have seen power five speed right off the bat. He would have looked even better against Lafayette. And then when he sees Rutgers, everything looks fine. But the other side, it also then would give Rutgers a 100% certainty that he was playing against them when it might have only been a 90% certainty heading into last week. So they were game planning for Dwan Mathis as well, according to Craig Shiano, who is nothing but, you know, an honest and admirable man. 
So I think, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think maybe I could, I'll say yes, but I'm not super confident. I don't think it's like definitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this hypothetical is definitive. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question here, a new, new screen name, potentially a new subscriber, uh, maybe a new subscriber, but definitely a first time mailbag question asker. Uh, the screen name is Pazzy25. Uh, what is the issue with our run game? Too many running backs getting carries, um, the offensive line. I, I think it's a combination of a little bit of everything. Um, I'm, I'm going to play this clip to kind of help answer the, the question here. And so on Monday during his weekly availability, uh, I asked Stan Drayton about Trey Blair. The start off being a question about Trey Blair. And I said, you know, without with Darvon Hubbard out of the game uh, and with Jakari Norwood out, um, you know, you had Sadie and what'd you think of what Trey Blair gave you? And, uh, and you'll hear him talking about it. He, he talks about how he expects more out of Trey Blair. He can, he can expect them to be better. He has higher upside, but he's talking about the running backs needing to run through contact here. And I think this gives you kind of the tone, uh, that might help ask this, answer this question where yes, the offensive line needs to get better, but you can tell that Stan Drayton as a running backs coach and a, a former running back himself wants more out of that position. So here's, uh, what Stan told me on Monday when I asked him about that. You got to run through contact at running back. Running backs have to be able to play past contact. They got to be able to create yards on their own. If there's one yard or two yards to get in a, in a short yard situation, we expect them to get that yard. And so all of them need to get better at that piece. What do you guys make of this? I mean, do you think it's do you think that's a big piece of it? Do you think it's just as much the offensive line as anything else? I mean, yeah, the offensive line Temple's dead last in rushing right now in the American, averaging 2.6 yards per carry, right? Mm-hmm. Offensive line clearly has something to do with that. But also, yeah, some point the running backs have to make something shake for themselves too. Rather that's seeing lanes better, or as Stan always says, finish finishing tougher through contact. Um Stan's the former All-American. I'm not, so I'm going to go with what he says. You're not a former All-American? No, I'm not, contrary to popular belief. You are in our hearts. Uh, I think a lot of it, it's – I kind of give the running backs a bit of a pass. I mean, you look at Edward Sadie, 75% of his yards have come after contact so far this year. Like, he's getting hit almost immediately and happened to, like, fight tooth and nail for, you know, for that two-yard game. I do think Trey Blair showed some flashes against mm-hmm. Rutgers. I'll be curious if – um what happens a little bit when you know, Darvon Hubbard and Jakari Norwood come back, if that's this week, great. I think a lot of it's just the offensive line has just not figured out offensive uh, run blocking yet, and they got to figure that out. I don't I don't think the too many running backs getting carries thing is really a thing. Um, I think, if anything, they're going to have fresh legs going into later on in the season. You'll see that pay dividends. I think it's not like they're running seven guys out there. If they're rotating three guys into a game, I think that's perfectly mm-hmm. reasonable. Uh, a couple more mailbag questions to get here, get to here to close things out. Next one is from Temple BA Pit MPA. Uh, speaking of running backs, what's up with Onassis? Neely, he looked pretty good when he got some playing time a couple of seasons ago, but he seems like a forgotten man since. I understand um, I understand there have been some injuries there. Um, he's, he's healthy um, now, just down the depth chart. And in fairness to him, he wasn't healthy at the, at the outset of camp and that, that did limit his reps. Um, is it worth keeping an eye on maybe if he, you know, if, if he starts hitting his stride a little bit, maybe they, maybe you start to see him get a few reps if Stan doesn't like what he's seeing, but I'm not, 
I'd be kind of mildly surprised if you see a lot of Onassis Neely. Uh, I think he's just just down the depth chart. Two knee injuries now? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I don't, I definitely don't want to shit on the kid uh, because like everything you heard coming out of high school was he was the type of guy that was probably going to end up being, you know, a rotational back that worked his way in and at the very least was like a solid guy at this level. He didn't look good when he played two years ago. I mean, he played in that that cluster F of a game against ECU where they were starting cheerleaders at left tackle and he had <laughs> 15 carries for 38 yards. Like he averaged two and a half yards carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a touchdown against UCF. They were, they were getting blown out 38 to seven when he came, yeah. 38 to three. Like he's yeah. just only gotten mop up duty and hasn't looked that great in mop up duty. I think a lot of that might be a little bit of nostalgia is not the right word because it wasn't, you know, a positive memory, but. Uh, just you know, time being favorable to uh, writer our readers' memory of him. Yeah. Um, last question here from JHG seven twenty two. Three games in. What are your major takeaways? Whether it's overall coaching, individual players, position groups, all of the above, etc. I got one, Javon. Who outside of players stood out to you the most watching covering that game? Outside of players, stood out to me. Uh huh. I feel like there was somebody we were talking. DJ about. Elliott's a madman. Oh, and I, like I, I love it. DJ Elliott had to be physically brought back to the line like yep. fifteen times in the game. At one point, he was like eleven yards out. Like while they're getting ready to snap yeah. the ball, this on is the not, green, not yeah. even on the white, on the green. This is yeah. not like oh yeah, like the play just ended and he's yelling covers. Like it's about to start and he's still on there. I think he's been pretty aggressive on defense. Um, I think people that got caught up over the phrase simulated pressure might have been, you know, just reading into words a little too much and not realizing that, yeah, he's there's still an aggressive defense that wants to get pressure. Mm-hmm. My biggest takeaway, whether that's a combination of coaching or Leighton Jordan finally finding his niche or Trey Thomas not missing a stride coming up from the Juco levels or Jacob Hollins finally finding a spot is that this defense is a lot more successful at being aggressive than I would have thought that they could be at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's been nothing but a positive development. Mm-hmm. Offensively, really hope they figure out something soon because the, I they I don't think they have an identity yet on offense. Real I quick, think- something we something we skipped over when you're talking about this defense. Um, a no lot of the best. Well, there's that they haven't forced. I think this this you would hope would be the week where they break out and get a couple turnovers for as as well as they've played defensively over the last couple of weeks. Yes, they have not they have not forced a turnover this season. Some of you have asked. What's going on with Keyshawn Paul? What's going on with Keyshawn Paul? Oh. Keyshawn Paul and Cam Ruiz were, were good last season. Cam Ruiz is coming off an injury. You've seen Cam Ruiz get on the field. Javon asked Stan Drayton on Monday about Keyshawn Paul. What did Stan Drayton say to you? If he earns a spot, he'll earn a spot. Yep. So we've talked a lot about how new staffs come in, new regimes come in. You can't assume that they have the same opinion about players that the previous staff did. So, um, look, obviously Keyshawn Paul was good enough to – get a scholarship to play some D1 ball. You saw some flashes from last season, but uh, it seems evident from that, that answer uh, to Javon, you know, that, that Keyshawn Paul still has some work to do before he gets back into a rotation where it's, they're looking for a solid starter on the, on, at other spots. You know, I think that, the, I think that Jalen McMurray is really starting to come around, but it's been a combination of some other guys, but look, credit to him to an extent. Elijah uh, Clark played a lot better against Rutgers than he did against he did. Um, earlier in the season. So, like, well, he looked bad against Duke. He looked serviceable against Rutgers. So, if he becomes a stabilizing force, great. If not, I, I mean, unfortunately for Keyshawn Ball, it feels like he's the fifth or sixth corner at this point. I feel like yeah. they like Jalen, Elijah Clark, Dominic Hill, even Dayon Hawkins, and Cameron Ruiz above him. So, mm-hmm. I. 
it bodes well for Temple's future if those guys have surpassed uh, a guy, Keyshawn Paul, who's been a starter at two different FBS levels over the yeah. last couple other, of years. Other major takeaways? I'm honestly, I, I feel like a broken record. I think Leighton Jordan's making himself money. Yeah, I feel I feel like legitimately like it, we're three games in, and I I think we've had case, you've had you know, case studies in the past of Ifan Maje or something like that's like not project a small sample size over the course of an entire career. But if you're looking up at the end of the year and Leighton Jordan has 18 tackles for a loss and 10 ta- 10 sacks, then he's probably not here next year, and he's probably a a fifth round pick for the Vikings or something to that extent. I don't think I think I expect him to have success. I don't think I expect him to have this much success this early. Yeah. Javon, anything else? I'm with Kyle. Donica Sanders has lived up to billing. Um, I thought he was – I thought, quite frankly, Rutgers had no answer for him in the first quarter before he got kind of hobbled. He he seems to think that he's the reason that um, that they didn't – you know, they weren't able to score at the end, that he made the wrong read. But I think that he's been exactly what that receiving, force, receiving core is needed. And so far, 11 months, 10 months into the Sandrain era, nine months, it feels like they know what they're looking for in the transfer portal and they've hit on a yeah. fair a fair amount of people that they brought in from outside organizations. Yeah. Like James Pham who didn't play played maybe one snap at, at Houston, if nothing. And like he started two of your first three games. So yeah. Yeah. Um and on even on the more basic level, other major takeaways, they seem to be buying in. They seem to be um they, they seem to be getting a better handle. The staff seems to be getting a better handle on who belongs. And I don't want to say who doesn't belong because again, like look at, I mean, you can say that. Well, I mean, like if James Famine who had one game where he looked like he struggled against Duke in the, you could, you could jump to a conclusion and say, well, maybe there was a reason why he didn't play a whole lot at Houston. Then a couple of weeks later, he holds his own at, at right tackle, you know, against, against Rutgers. And again, I'm sure if we had Chris Weezing on the pod right now, I could say, well, I could break down this, 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 and this, he needs to get better here. But, um, they seem to be playing much, much harder for Stan Drayton. Uh, they seem to be kind of, you know, even now you can maybe look back at the Duke game and say, okay, yes. Did Mike Elko and Kevin Johns maybe dial back their, you know, their offensive play calling and, and want to just get out of there with a win? Sure. But now looking back at the opener and saying, hey, they only gave up six points in the second half might have been a sign of things to come. Um, they do seem to be trending in the right direction. They obviously might have something in EJ Warner, anybody again, like if he's getting rid of the ball on time for the most part, yes, he will make mistakes. They might, they might have something there. Um, Like Kyle said, more often than not, it looks like they've hit uh, in the portal. Ian Stewart is, has, has shown some flashes. So um, I I think I was thinking about this today, you know, after the Duke game, Kyle, you had that tweet where you said, I think there are a lot of fans who are hoping that this season was going to be like 2014, six and six, second season under the Matt Rule era. This might be, this might be more like 2013. Now are we looking at it and saying it might be like a halfway point between the two? I, I still don't know if they win more than three or four games, but well, maybe see, I, 2013, like I've said this before, it kind of played out exactly like this. We're like, yeah, they went two and 10, but they lost on the last minute pass from Gary Nova. They lost on like, right. uh, JJ Roten, Roten, Morton, Morton. Who was the receiver for UCF that caught the uh, diving uh, touchdown pass? Um, uh, I JJ think, something. It, uh, I think it was Roten or Warden. Or Sega Whiteside. Yes. Um, like they had like two or three, <laughs> if not four games where you're like, crap, they lost. Like they were leading with like the last drive to go and they lost that game. So like, if you could put a gun to my head right now and force me to sign off on 
they're going to go two and 10, three and nine, but they're going to have games like that. And you're really going to start seeing guys develop. Then I take that right now. So like, I would say vibes are a lot better than they were 14 days ago. JJ Warden. Yes, you're right. Warden, yeah. Look at me. Spot on. Yeah. That diving catch back when they used to have the weird advertisements along like the end zone, like baseline. Yeah. And it's like, he almost like dove into those. It was good times. Yeah. Yeah. So and then well, the next year, you know, they go six and six and they beat a uh, nationally ranked ECU and they should have gone to a bowl. And it seems to be like that's the trajectory that Temple is on. Like I would expect next year where you return all of your defensive starters as of right now, and you're probably able to plug in some guys on offense, maybe stabilize the offensive line, then I would expect next year to be a step in the right direction as well. Basketball schedule got announced today. Oh, yes. Sorry, we skipped over, skipped over that. Both uh, both men's and women's. Schedules, conference schedules. Uh, yeah, well, that, well, the full schedules. The full schedules, yeah. We knew uh, who they were playing the whole time. I don't think we knew games. So they start off, what, December 28th at ECU? Uh, all right. Well, thanks to everybody for submitting mailbag questions, for tuning in for another week. Uh, we'll have another podcast for you next week where we talk about uh, Temple and UMass and what happens there. Any more recruiting information that we'll have to pass along. So thanks again for being with us this week, and we will talk to you soon. Peace.